Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The outlook for the Canadian vaping industry has never looked so dim, following almost three years of constant turmoil. Joining us today to discuss the perilous state of affairs of vaping in Canada is Sadiq Deya, CEO of the BC-based e-liquid manufacturer Van Gogh Vapes. Sadiq, thanks for joining us today on RegWatch. Thanks for having me, Brent. You and your company are among the pioneers of vaping in Canada. So before we get into your background and company story, first tell us, why are you so concerned about the future of vaping? My fear is that just like tobacco, just like cigarettes have gone for the last many decades, big tobacco will come in and take control of it. Right now, the industry as it is, is uh, controlled 80% by big tobacco. The 20% that's left for the flavorists, like myself, is, um, is, is severely under attack constantly and, and unjustifiably, in my opinion. Now, Health Canada is currently considering a national nicotine cap and potentially a flavor ban. What impact would these actions have on vaping in general and Van Gogh vapes in particular? The challenge that I see with the flavor ban is that uh, A, it destroys the industry and B, it doesn't allow anyone to have any choices. So when someone is quitting smoking um, or whether they're uh, smoking one pack a day, half pack a day, doesn't matter. The, the flavor that they choose has a big impact on the success of the product for them. And so having the ability to choose flavors is one one very important aspect. The second aspect that's extremely important to focus on is that once flavors are gone, Big Tobacco has full control of the industry once again. They control the cigarettes, they control the tobacco, tobacco flavored devices. Um, companies like Van Gogh, we uh, have prided ourselves for years of being craft connoisseurs. You know, we, although we've been, I, I'm an ex-smoker, I smoked for many years, and this is one of the reasons I was very passionate about the industry at the beginning. But as an industry, we're a very craft industry. You know, we love, we put a lot of heart and passion into the flavors, into the designs, into the graphics. And what's happening is it's all being destroyed. It's becoming that it'll be just another tobacco product being sold by only big tobacco. And all of us connoisseurs, all of the artisans that are out there will all be destroyed. There won't be any vape shops. There won't be any e-liquid companies, which you can already see happening. Now, Van Gogh Vapes was a family affair when you started back in 2014. Tell us about your background in business, the founding of your company, and where Van Gogh Vape stands now. So back in 2014, I was actually an accountant. Uh, me and uh, my brother, we were both in, a, in the accounting field. He was on the economic side. I was more on the tax and business consulting. And um, I was a smoker for many years. I had tried many different uh, different cessation methods, the gum, and um, I had tried a cold turkey, and I tried a few things, and none of them had really worked. And I'd run into some people who were vaping, and they told me a couple of times, you know, you should really give it a try. Give it a try. It's something new. It's uh, it's been around. It helped me a lot. And so I finally decided to to give it a shot. And um, I was I was convinced almost immediately. It had such a significant impact on my ability to um, deal with the cravings. Uh, and then the other big part that I noticed was that I really enjoyed the flavor. One of my first flavors was blueberry. And at the time I was only used to having cigarettes. And so when you try the blueberry flavor, you, you know, you're blown away. You're like, wow, it actually tastes like blueberries. And it made it, well, it made it so easy to actually start to move away from cigarettes because I was a dual user for many months and, um, I'd go to smoke my cigarette and then I'd go and, you know, when I'd start to crave a cigarette, I'd use the vape and then push it off a bit and then I'd go for a smoke. And so it went from being, you know, 10, 15 smokes a day to five smokes a day. And I, I really started believing the product and I found that the flavor had a big impact. I really enjoyed the flavor so much that I didn't crave or I, or I, I didn't crave the cigarettes as much. And when I did have a cigarette, the flavor was so such a shock 
that my body was almost used to getting it in a better way, in a different way. And then because I was, then as I started getting myself off cigarettes, I was on the bait. I started with 12 milligrams, moved down to six milligrams, moved down to three milligrams, and all that happened just in the first few months. So that was really a big factor for me and uh, my brother as well. He, he was an ex-smoker. So your business obviously started from nothing. And how big did it get? How many employees, how many retailers did you serve? That kind of thing. We started in 2015. We got a little uh, small uh, facility. And from 2015, it blew up. It uh, was completely you know, unexpected. We didn't think it would be by the time 2016, 2017 came around. We had over 20 employees. Uh, we were across Canada. We started getting into the UK. Um, and so over the years, we've done trade shows across the world, like around Europe and in Canada. We're dealing currently with hundreds of stores, if not maybe in the thousands for Canada, US. We have some in the UK, some in actually Japan and Australia, surprisingly. Um, and it's it's been really good. It's been quite a journey. Now, that journey has also included quite a bit of turmoil, um, as I just mentioned in the lead. But specifically, there was the so-called youth epidemic uh, the youth teen vaping scare. And then of course there was Evali, which was the so-called vaping related lung illness. And then COVID hit and on top of all of that, but there's also been the constant barrage of assaults coming from nonprofit health groups with regards to vaping. And then there's the regulator health Canada. What's your overall kind of assessment of what's happened over the last couple of years? I think that in my opinion, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge, there's been a, a, a big injustice done to the industry as it is. Seeing what happened with vapes over the last few years and how the narrative shifted from um, the amount of nicotine to what's the flavors to are we targeting kids to what's the purpose of flavors is vape safe all these different things. And really all we have to look at is, is it safer? It's been established many times. It's significantly safer. It's a good method for helping adults quit cigarettes. It's a good method of getting for harm reduction. There's been a significant impact on the UK health um, health side over uh, ever since they introduced vaping. They're actually a lot behind it. They have government programs behind vaping. They push it a lot. And over the last now two years, three years, you, we saw a rise of teen vaping. And in my opinion, there was a lot to do with the jewel. The real truth behind the problem is that the teens were chasing the head rush. This is the first time in 2018, 2019, when these small devices, especially jewel, super small device with a proprietary blend of nicotine, these come out, people were able to sit in their class, take this little device and get head rushed. And so it was all about chasing the head rush. It was never about the flavor. And so when they banned, when they got rid of their own flavors, it effectively made them look like the good guy, made us all look like the bad guy. Then you have a valley that comes out and a valley, uh, again, nothing to do with the industry as it is, nothing to do with flavors. There was some bad manufacturing going on in the States for THC cartridges. People were using oil-based solvents to create their uh, THC cartridges. A few people got sick. It wasn't even a significant number. And basically the media took that, ran with it. So many stores, countless number of jobs, countless businesses were lost during that valley end of 2019 from September to December destroyed the industry. We had shops that their sales were cut in half. You're talking about Canada now and in terms of the impact that E-Valley had on the Canadian baby market. Yeah, the states was worse. Definitely. They were states that shut down. And I think that that panic set off you know, uh, an, an international stage of attacking vaping. During that time, India went ahead, banned vaping. You know, you were, they're allowing cigarettes 
they used it as an excuse to ban vaping because vaping represented a big um, uh, problem for their tobacco industry. Uh, in Canada, the big problem we saw was that people in general were scared. People who had been vaping for years, they were coming to the stores, they were calling us every day, all day, asking like, hey, what's the truth? I didn't know that I could have a heart attack. I didn't know that my lungs will collapse. And the propaganda didn't stop. For months, it continued. And we have established that vaping is safer. We have established all these things years ago. The media spun it. And in Canada, it destroyed the economy here. So in September, in August, you know, for us as a company, we were coming into a, we, we, it, was, uh, it was good. You know, we had just done, dealt with regulations the year before. It was a legal product. We're doing a proper business here in Canada. Uh, we've been around since 2014. 2019 where you know i had a few we had over 20 employees um we had a lot of plans we were working with a lot of local organizations we had charity events we were doing a lot of things and uh all of a sudden the valley hit and for three months you know it was tough we had to slim we had to lean the company we had to reduce our staff we had we were in the middle of a move so we had to expedite the move we moved in january you know so those were really tough months and the valley scare we still talk to people about it that are still unsure they said like, you know what's the truth what's going to happen and i think that it was very unfair a how the media took it but b the regulations that came around that time didn't take into consideration the true truth about media about the vaping and about flavors and all that stuff and kind of just ran with the media and i think what i feel really let down about is that the government has a responsibility to its citizens to do the right research and put into place things that are fair based on truth not based on what the media has been pushing or what agendas are out there so when you look at vaping when you look at flavors and when you look at how this industry has been treated it's been unfair for a long time it valley kicked it off to a new level now, in 2018, the federal liberal government actually made vaping legal, as you just mentioned, but the ink wasn't even dry uh, before, obviously, the youth vaping epidemic, so-called, really started to disrupt, disrupt things. From that point on, and this is even before Ivali, I mean, how do you rate the regulator in terms of clearing up some of the miscommunication going on through the media to the public? In my opinion, Health Canada should have been more open and clear with their statements and especially in 2018 when they went public and they had created a legal product they had justification for what they did they knew what they were doing and they should have stood stood behind what they what they had found you know especially when you look at the teen vaping epidemic a lot of people were misusing information we are so in ocd about not selling to minors 2014 we started there was no regulations as an industry we self-regulated you can look at our labels going back to 2014 we have never targeted children we have always been very strict with the minors if you're if you can't buy alcohol and cigarettes you can't buy vape products we have actually as a as a company we have cut off stores that we found were to, uh, selling minors and stuff so this was before the regulations came out so when the regulations came out they reinforced what we were doing as an industry you can look at the packaging and everything we've done for years so I think that um, as an industry, we need to be treated fairly. And it can't be that just they look at the economic value of the industry. Because if you look at the economic value of the industry, Big Tobacco owns most of the industry. But we are a valid industry. The flaving industry is there to create flavors. We're a craft industry. We're not the vaping industry as it stands. Vaping was created for and by Big Tobacco. Flaving is what we do. That's what the industry is. And if you get rid of flavors, the whole industry is destroyed. Sadiq, often Health Canada told RegWatch and made the same statements in public of, that the vaping regulations were intended to provide 
a stable regulatory framework. Do you think that the way in which Health Canada has been managing the portfolio here over the last couple of years has been true to that to that goal? Not at all. In my opinion, it's been uh, it's been handled very responsibly, and the only one that is potentially happy is uh, big tobacco. In my opinion, uh, I know it's a bold claim, but the ones who get who have been hurt the most over this transition over the last few years has been the flaving industry. When you come out and you say, for example, BC government last year when they came out with uh, regulations that cut down the bottle size, it's again completely irresponsible and it's not taking into consideration any impact to the flaving industry the tobacco industry couldn't care less that didn't impact them when you can't have the bigger bottles it doesn't impact them when they have to change all the labels constantly especially when you look at the size of the companies how much do you think overall uh the regulations solely the regulations have cost your business it's really tough to quantify. You know, the biggest challenge that we've had is, first of all, it's there's a lot of unquantifiables associated with it. So if we look at the last 12 months, last year, the feds put out their set of new regs. We complied with it. We had to take back hundreds and thousands of bottles from thousands from hundreds of stores. We had to swap it out. We had to get the proper labeling. When it comes back, we have to process it. We have to deal with the labels. We have to deal with the bottles going back in the inventory. When they're picking the inventory, we're very specific. Every single batch has its own location. We can't mix batches so that when you get an order, it's all listed. If you order a flavor, you're going to see a list of every single batch that's in there. So when we have stores that are ordering 50 bottles of a certain flavor or 100 bottles, they're getting 60 different batches. 30 different batches. So a huge administrative headaches, huge uh, administrative costs that can't even be quantified. But the quantifiable cost over the last 12 months is in the hundreds of K. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have gone into garbage, into wasted bottles, into relabeling. Just so this is just the quantifiable costs. Again, going back to unquantifiables, how much of our resources has been diverted just to manage this? We had to have temporary staff for 10 months to manage all the returns. You know, these are huge costs. And in the middle of coronavirus, after dealing with the federal regulations, after dealing with all these different problems, after having ourselves ready for the coronavirus, having ourselves up to standard for being health and all these different things, we also have to deal with these other problems. It was too much. You know, it's a surprise that there's even that we're really even here, right? Like the, the amount of work it takes to be standing still, it's uh, it's tough. And you were mentioning uh, there was quite a bit of an impact at the retail level in the in the retail stores, which are your base customers, right? You sell to the retail primarily. What was the impact of the Valley then on the Canadian vaping retail industry? The retail industry, if I was to put a number, I mean, it's tough to put a number, but I would say at least 40% of the industry was wiped out in those two, three months. And um, the challenges when it was wiped out, the way it was wiped out was done with a lot of mistrust, doubt, all these different things. And Big Tobacco is the only one who has the money to get the right coverage. So when you look at who's doing the big interviews or when you see who's out there covering all the normal locations, it's going to be Big Tobacco. So the ones who recover the easiest are Big Tobacco. So when the blows come down and Jewel gets to be on TV and Vibe is on every corner and they're giving out free devices and all that stuff, that's who comes back from it. So when these when a valley hit, the industry that got hurt was the 
the small business industry, the, the, the mom and pop shops, all the other juice makers. There used to be over the, if you go back to 2017, 2018, there was a lot of other local juice makers. And by the time 2019, 2020 came around, like now, as it stands today, 2021, there's, I could count maybe, maybe a handful, you know, that's locally here. Before we had 20, 30 local, I can only think of really two now. You know, so it hurt the industry a lot. And the ones who got to recover were big tobacco. They're the ones at the gas stations. They're the ones at the convenience stores. And the general public looks at the vape industry and looks at vaping as a negative thing, especially flaving. Now, Health Canada, apparently, we've heard, is considering a nationwide flavor ban. What's your thoughts? This was been going towards, you know, for years, and you could see it coming. Um, we could see it coming, especially when Jewel came out and made those damning remarks, blaming that uh, flavor is the problem, that it's uh, flavors that kids are coming towards. Flavors have been around for years. That's not what the problem is. The problem is the high nicotine. The problem is that these guys were getting 50 milligram, 60 milligram Jewel devices that are this big that they can hide in their hand and puff in class. We know that this is a problem, that like teens will do irresponsible things. Teen drinking is a problem. Teens use drugs. Teens get their hands on everything. We're not going to be able to stop that. But what they were able to do was turn the narrative. So it's, uh, you know, think of the children. Oh, the flavor means that the children, you, all anyone has to do is take a walk through a liquor store. There's no child protection on any of those bottles. You have all the branding and marketing in the world and all the flavors you can imagine. You can get bubblegum vodka. You can get all these things. Are we saying that these companies are only targeting children? Or are we saying that adults actually enjoy flavor? I think it's quite obvious. My customer is 25 to 55. That's a good range for me. If economically speaking, those are the ones that are targeted best for me. They're the most brand loyal. And this is what I found as a company. So I came up with branding that appeals to those people. I never thought about what that 15-year-old down the street wants to see on my box. Never did it, th- it cross my mind. And I'm sure the vodka company down the street, they don't think about that either. They want their product to look good and stand out from the competition. That's all we're doing. And they're turning us into the bad guy because Big Tobacco doesn't care. Big Tobacco has a jewel. They have Vipe and they have their cigarettes. And if you want to take all the packaging away, they don't care because you will still buy their product. You are addictive. If you don't buy their cigarette, you will buy their vape. And if you don't buy their vape, you'll buy their cigarette. They don't care. You'll buy one of them. There's only a few big tobacco companies. It's not like there are a hundred of them fighting for the money. There's four of them, five of them that control most of it, right? So they don't mind sharing with them. They just don't want sharing with us. us. Now, Sadiq, would you acquiesce to the point that there has been some, you know, some pretty uh, garish uh, packaging and marketing done in the past by e-juice companies that say are not owned by big tobacco? I mean, there certainly has been some candy flavored, some cartoon packaged product out there. I 100% agree. And I've uh, I've made a big stand against this in the past. Um, I don't think, I agree with the fact that the packaging is obnoxious. I've seen cartoons. When I was in the UK, I've seen some really extreme, they go more extreme than here. They, they go copyright all the way. Again, going back to the self-regulating aspect of it, in 2015, 2016, 17, there's no regulations. We could have done whatever we wanted. No, none of the people in the industry were really that crazy. Most of the general... Uh, the, the more respected companies were, you know, fairly responsible. And even the ones who were the bad apples who were going out and putting, you know, cartoons on their stuff. I don't think that they had malicious intent. I don't think that they were saying, let's put cartoons because then we can get the children. That's not their intent. Their intent was just to be obnoxious and look colorful on the shelf. These are not 
diabolical. However, on that point, though, the, the, the general public's fear of it is not unjustified because you look again at big tobacco. And for decades, we have, we have documents, we have so many documents actually in the 90s when the tobacco was going through the court cases, they had to bring out their marketing campaigns. And there's documented campaigns that they had against children. They had created cartoon characters. They were really invested into media and getting the kids. And it was in their marketing campaigns that said that the best time to get a person, a customer, is between 14 and 18. Don't quote me on the exact ages that they had in their document. But they had it documented that teens are the best because once you get them, they will be most likely to be loyal forever. So they will choose their brand between 14 and 18, something like that. And we need to get them then. And so how do we get them? And for decades, they did it. And so when the industry where the general public looks at us and they see the cartoons, they might have these remnants of fear going back to those days when big tobacco screwed people for decades. Um, in my opinion, it wasn't the case. Uh, I think that those people do need to shape up. And they have been, you know, Bill, uh, in 2018, when the government released their sets of regulations, I think they were pretty good. They said no characters. It sucked. We did actually have a character on. Uh, I don't have it here. We had an old explorer on one of our bottles. Like it was a little illustration just to go with the theme. It was an international delights line and it was a uh, Italian tiramisu kind of flavor, whatever. And at the time, then, you know, regulations came out. We said, okay, we'll change it. We'll scrap tiramisu. It was in the regs. They said no more desserts. And we said, okay, that's fine. You know, they came up with some regs and overall we, you know, we take griped a little bit, but it wasn't that bad. You know, you can have colors and you could brand it and you could do all these things. And so we changed all our labels, spent thousands and thousands to relabel. We have 90 flavors. We have always been known as extreme packaging. Our colors and branding has always been, you know, out there because I love art. You can see actually behind me, uh, this is a, a Van Gogh original inspired but uh, mixed with Van Gogh as a company. And this the Starry Night. Anyways, we're all about art. If you took a tour here, our floors are blue for a reason. We love art. We love this kind of stuff. And so in 2018, we re looked at everything, changed it all, spent good money to get it all rebranded, relabeled, and uh, continued from that point. And, and to have to continue to do it over and over and over and to be told that we're the bad guys, we're just targeting children. It's... Um, it's unfair. It's unfair to lump us in with tobacco like that. To some extent, do you feel that your company and the industry overall is being harassed? Oh, 100%. We're the small guy, so they can, and they will continue to. You know, we've got a narrative right now. We're trying to push that flavors are important. But the challenge is the vaping industry, if you were to say it as it is currently, 80% uh, of the industry doesn't care because 80% economically is big tobacco. So technically, the vaping industry is happy. But in reality, the big tobacco is happy, the other 20% is not happy. So 100% of the flavoring industry is not happy. But we're not, we don't get to say, we are only looked at as oh, vaping, oh, well, 80% is just these guys, let's just listen to these guys, the regs are happy for them. Look at Nova Scotia, when you put a 50 cents a mill tax, and when you ban flavors, who wins? Big tobacco, they're like, okay, shitty. We can't do some flavors. That's too bad. You know, they don't care. If you're going to buy a pack of three pods for $20, a bite package or a jewel package, you'll pay a buck 50 in tax, whatever it is. I'm not sure how many mils are in there. But if you take a 30 mil bottle, right, from any of our companies, any of the flavoring companies in Canada, that right there is $15 in tax. 
plus you're paying $20 for the bottle. So $35, A, they're going to go black market. B, they're going to say, forget about it. We're just going to buy what Big Tobacco offers. Or C, they're going to order from outside the province or outside the country. So it's, it's irresponsible. It's completely irresponsible. Nova Scotia has created a beautiful black market now. So everyone and their next door neighbor is going to go get flavors, get some under the, uh, underground nicotine, fool around with 1,000 milligram nicotine. It's very dangerous. should be done in a, in a facility, not someone's basement. And they recreated the uh, bathtub juice industry. So now we're going to have that problem. Let me ask you about Health Canada's consultation, which just closed. And so we're now all waiting to find out what they're going to do with regard to the lowering of the nicotine concentration in e-liquid. So is that something that is something that your company can live with? Do you think that it's advisable to do? The thing is, as a company, we can live with it because we're, we're, uh, our companies, it's around flavor. Right? You're not buying our product because of our nicotine or anything. It's about our flavor. And in BC, we have had to, we have had to deal with that, the 20 milligram cap. And I don't agree with it specifically. I, I'm, not, I'm not specifically I'm against it, but not in the way I'm against flavor. Flavor destroys an industry. A flavor ban, you mean? A flavor ban destroys the industry. The nicotine cap makes it, A, harder for adults to quit because the challenge is 20 milligram isn't all the information that you need. You also need to know what devices are going into. So to say 20 milligrams should be the cap, it's tough to say. And so what happens is someone who likes the small device, I need 35. 20 doesn't really cut it well for me. 35 does the job. 50 for some people, if they're heavy smokers, they need 50 so that they can have a small device and they can get the nicotine they need. When you put a nicotine cap like 20, they're forced to go with A, a bigger device, or B, it doesn't work for them. They're like, I can't. I'm not going to go and use one of these so I can use a lower nicotine. I just want high nicotine, low vapor. It's a, it's a balance. The more vapor you have, less nicotine you need. But some people don't want to have huge clouds. They just want little puff, right? And so this is the challenge. By putting a nicotine cap, you're basically saying that if you can't get enough nicotine out of this device, suck it up, take a bigger device, get more clouds. That's what is going to happen. Pretty much throughout the entire legislation of the TVPA and everything Health Canada does, it refers always and consistently to the health hazards of vaping. And indeed, that the public must be made aware of those health hazards and no information should be out in the public that would deceive them of those health hazards. So pretty much if you want to try, if, ever live in a world where you hope that some of the benefits and virtues of vaping as a potential tool for smoking cessation, or that it's healthier than smoking, none of that can be communicated to the public. We can debate on the health hazard, and I would not, uh, I would not argue with it because of the nicotine content. Nicotine is a hazard. Nicotine on its own is dangerous. In the concentrations that we're using it, it can be debatable how toxic it is. And overall, as a product, it's safe enough that we should be allowed to use it without so much over like overreaching government regulation and regulation on a constant regular basis we need one set of laws from the federal government health canada there's no health bc so bc shouldn't be allowed to create new regulations for it it should be done by health canada after reviewing the facts they create a framework and a set of regulations and a set of interpretations what does plain packaging mean what do flavors mean 
Once we have that, then that should be good enough. The provinces shouldn't be allowed to do like what BC did, completely irresponsible. It was completely irresponsible to the general public. It was irresponsible to the consumers, to the businesses. And in the middle of coronavirus time, where we're already dealing with so much. If you could sit down with Health Canada, Sadiq, for just a couple of minutes, what would be the message you would want to leave them with? I think the biggest message is that flavors are important as an industry. Flavored vaping is an industry on its own and it isn't specifically tied to nicotine. So we need a regulatory framework. We need to allow flavors. We need to make sure that you're being produced in a facility that's food safe. It needs to be packaged in a responsible manner. It needs to be put in a child safe container. This is really all we need to do. Everything further than that, I think is infringing on our right to operate a business. It's our right to be able to use a product that has been clearly not, it's not harmful. It's not, there's been no demonstrable proof that it's harmful to people.